Aren't you glad to be in the house of God this morning? I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. Praise God. <clears throat> you know, we, we go through things that seems ceremonial and religious, real, religiously, just religious practices, and sometimes we wonder, does it really matter? You know, we, we get into doing things that's just routine. But church, you need to understand that this is critically important to our spiritual growth. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, I know we took a break because of the pandemic, and, and that's behind us now. I'm, I'm so glad we're not, we're not having to do that again. Although, I, you know, I told somebody, I said, you know what? I think Satan tried to work against us, and he tried to stamp out the fire. And all he succeeded in was sending sparks everywhere. And now the fire's growing all around the world. Because we went from a little church. You know, it was prophesied years ago when we were in the old sanctuary that even though we're a small entity on the earth, we will have a global effect from pole to pole and horizon to horizon. That was the prophecy. Well, I always thought that meant with our missions outreach would be how we would accomplish that. Little did I know that one day that I would be standing in this pulpit and people would be listening to us all, on, all the way around the world, you know, and that prophecy is coming to pass. And it came to pass in a way that seemed like we were caving in to the government, not coming to church. Listen, God works in ways that seems foolish to us, doesn't make sense to us. We weren't caving in to anybody, okay? Come on. We were complying. It was a humanitarian crisis. We were complying to the authorities, according to Romans 13, as we should. It was an attack against our freedom. They were requesting that we do that. And so we did. But that aside, we don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We need to come together. And even though that seems routine and uh, ritualistic, that's the word I was trying to think of a minute ago, it's important that we do that. This morning, I'm going to be talking about a ceremony that's been going on for thousands of years that is still kept today. And that we're going to be discussing this morning that the Jewish people have been practicing for years. It is called Rosh Hashanah. Everybody say Rosh Hashanah. It's one of the Feasts of Israel. It's also known as the Feast of Trumpets. They'll be celebrating that this coming Saturday. Rosh Hashanah. And finally, Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to look there with me in verse 1. It says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, say to them, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feast. So there's seven of them. And he goes through them in Leviticus chapter three. I won't read all of it, but there were seven feasts of Israel. The first one was the feast of Passover. After that was the feast of unleavened bread. Followed then by the Feast of First Fruit, followed by the Feast of Pentecost. Those were the first four, and they were this feast that was celebrated in the spring, in the first part of the year. Then you had the Fall Feast, which is Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpets. Then you have the Feast of Atonement, and the last one will be the Feast of Tabernacles, or Tents. And so they're getting ready to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. And it's, it's the fifth of the seven feasts. It says in verse 23, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, 
In the seventh month of the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this Saturday, they're going to be celebrating Rosh Hashanah. It's a time to call the Jewish people together for repentance. And they are coming together for a 10-day, they will repent for 10 days leading up to the highest holy day of the Jewish calendar, which is Yom Kippur, or the Feast of Atonement. And it's, uh, they're, they're preparing themselves for that judgment to be repented and accepted before God. Um, this is something that the Jewish people hold in high regard. I don't know if any of you remember Sandy Koufax. I'm going to really see who, who the young people are in here right now. Who, who, know who knows who Sandy Koufax is? Don Drysdale, Sandy Koufax, those guys. In 1965, the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers was playing the Minnesota Twins in the World Series. And, it, and Sandy Koufax was scheduled to pitch in the first opening game of the World Series. What they didn't know is that the L.A. Dodgers would win the World, would, would go on to the World Series and that Sandy would be their first pitcher. But that was the day of Rosh Hashanah. And so Sandy said, sorry, but I'm not going to be your guy. I'm not pitching for the opening game because this was sacred to them. And little did he know, but people revered him for standing up for his faith back then. Christianity used to be a good thing, and you're practicing your faith. He wasn't a Christian necessarily. He was a Jewish man. But it was important, and, and he never played ball on, on uh, Passover or First Fruit or any Jewish holiday. He was very, very strict about that. Um, Rosh Hashanah is also the Jewish New Year. It is celebrated on the seventh month of Tishrei. Now, the, we go by the Gregorian calendar, which is based on the solar system, the sun. The sun is pretty consistent. You know, it rises and sets. Uh, it's set apart minutes each day because the days are getting shorter now. We are approaching what is known as the equinox. And September the 21st will be this fall equinox. You've got as much daylight as you have dark, okay? And then you go up to December the 21st, and you will be in the winter solstice. It's the longest night and the shortest day. Then the days start getting longer. March the 21st, you'll have the spring equinox, where you've got as much daylight as dark. And then in June 21st, you'll have the summer solstice. But those things fall on that exact date every year. The winter solstice, the summer solstice, the equinox, because the solar system is consistent. The Jewish calendar follows the lunar, which is the moon. And so the Tishrei, it falls in the seventh month, and Rosh Hashanah is celebrated on the first new moon. Well, that changes every year. So their date changes. Last year, it was, it was on October the 1st. Next year, it'll be celebrated on September the 6th. This year it's on the 19th, so it fluctuates, but they celebrate it on the new moon uh, each year. So they're going to be doing that this Saturday. It lasts for two days, and there's a reason for that, too. They used to only have it one day, and then because they had to do it later in the day, it broke into a two-day celebration. I'm not going to get into the details of why all that happened. But... um, 
you, you say, well, why do we care? We're not Jewish. <laughs> why do we care what holidays the Jews are celebrating? We're not Jewish, but we're Christians. And listen, as Christians, we are Judeo-Christians, meaning all of our Christian heritage comes from Jewish roots. So what the Jews do is it's really types and shadows of what God is going to do in the future and what he did through Jesus Christ. And right now, you'll be pleased to know that the Jews, many of them are turning to Yeshua or Jesus as Messiah. That is great news, that a lot of Jews are coming to the, uh, to the truth that Jesus Christ actually was the Messiah, and they're committing their life to Jesus Christ. That excites me. I don't know if it excites you, but that really excites me. And so... <clears throat> We, we are Christians. We're in what we call the dispensation of grace. They are still stuck in what is known as the dispensation of law. And if you don't understand what that is, dispensation is just an undesignated period of time. Like the first dispensation was the dispensation of innocence. When God created Adam in the garden, he was innocent. He didn't know good from bad or right from wrong or sin from righteousness. He was innocent. And then when they partook of the tree, they entered the dispensation of conscience because they now know what evil is. And so they went into a second dispensation. They uh, stayed in that dispensation up until the time of the tower, uh, until the flood, up until Noah's time, which was known as the dispensation of human government. When Noah came off of the flood, off of the ark, they went into the dispensation of human government. They governed themselves up until God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and he made a promise to Abraham that I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Then we entered the dispensation of promise all the way up until the time of Moses on Mount Sinai, which is what we're going to be talking about a little bit this morning, when God gave the law. You see, when they were in Egypt, God brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He took them to Mount Sinai 50 days after they celebrated the Passover in Egypt. Moses is up on top of the mountain receiving the covenant. And that is what is known as Pentecost. Pentecost just means 50. It was seven Sabbath weeks. So you had seven, seven days, which is seven, seven is 49. And on the 50th day, God gave the law on Pentecost. All right, and so they entered the dispensation of law up until the time that they celebrated Pentecost in the upper room. Fifty days after Jesus hung on the cross, the real Passover lamb, are you seeing this? Fifty days later, just like he did in the Old Testament, that's types and shadows of what Jesus is going to do. Everything in this book, Jesus is in every chapter in this book. A lot of the Old Testament things we read this morning are for our learning. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things became an example. Everybody say an example. All of that is an example. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. 
and do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down and to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 fell. Brother, you do not mock God. Come on. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, oh, come on, somebody. As some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. I think the Bible says rejoice in the Lord. How, how often? Always. That doesn't leave, leave a lot of room for complaining, does it? Hey, I'm preaching in a mirror just in case you're wondering. Because I lost it this week. I was fed up with being fed up about something. And I was whining and complaining. My wife came down there and she said something and it was ugly, wasn't it, baby? Aren't you glad God is gracious? I resigned five times this week. But I'm here. Come on, out of weakness he is. Verse 11, now all these things happen to them as examples that, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. Come on, we are in the last days. And so all of those things are examples. 50 days after Jesus hung on the cross, they're in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit came, and we entered a new dispensation known as the dispensation of grace. We're in that to this present day. It's also known as the time of the Gentiles. You're, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You're non-Jew. All right. It's also known as the church age. That's where we're at right now. But the time is drawing near when the shafar will blow. And the dead in Christ will rise, and those that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air, and so will we be with the Lord in the air, and the, the earth will enter into another dispensation known as the seven-year tribulation period. You say, are you a pre-trib theory person? I am pre-trib to the core of my being. I've been studying this book for almost a half a century, and I can't see it any other way but the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. All right, just so you know, I don't hold to the mid-trib or the post-trib or even the pan-trib. Who knows what the pan-trib is? Uh, it'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> okay, would you go with it? So the reason you say, why are we doing this? We're not Jews. We, we examine these things because they're examples for us and they're reminders. The shafar, this is called a shafar. Isn't this a cool thing? This is actually a kudu. It's coming off of a kudu. It's an animal in Africa. This is a kudu horn. This is a shafar. And the shafar and the role that it plays in biblical history, is, it's very meaningful. Both Jews and Christians, to them, this is a spiritual awakening. When you hear the sound of the shafar, because it mimics the voice of God on Mount Sinai. All right, and so if you understand it, to the Jews, they understand that this awakens their soul, it awakens their spirit when they hear the shafar. And God commanded them at Rosh Hashanah to listen 
to the blowing of the shafar or the trumpet. And so they do that. This can be made from any kosher animal that has horns. A kosher animal is one that chews the cud and has a cloven hoof. So any horn you can find big enough on a kosher animal, you can take it and make a shafar out of it. It's used for communication mostly. They would use this on mountaintops, and they would blow signals to somebody on another mountaintop. They didn't have cell phones back then, <laughs> and they didn't send smoke signals. They blew the shafar. And, and that's still something that is used, actually, to, even to this day, uh, ceremonially. I mean, how many of you have been to a military funeral? What do they do at the last thing? They blow taps. You know, it's, it's a communication. It is a reverence and a, and a, a respect for the p person that has fallen, you know. And so they also used it in the declaration of a king. This was used in a lot of different countries, in England, France, Spain, Germany, Russia, all these places. When the king would come in, and the king comes in, you know, because the trumpet was used for that introductory in the coronation of the king. God himself reveals his presence in the scripture several times with the sound of the shafar, and it's the uttering of his very own voice is as the sound of a trumpet. It's also used to call to battle. Roman soldiers went in in one, one setting when the, the Jews were celebrating Rosh Hashanah. They used to do it early in the morning. They would sound the shafar. Well, the Roman legionnaires heard that. To them, that is a call to battle. And so they assume that these thousands and millions of Jews that wants to shut down and, 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 and attack the Roman Empire is rallying for battle. So they sent the legionnaires in and started killing the Jews who's getting ready to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. And so after that, they stopped doing the, the ceremony of Rosh Hashanah service early in the morning because they didn't want to confuse the Romans that they were trying to rally them to battle. We see it today used in the Calvary. How many of you have watched the movie Geronimo with uh, Gene Hackman in it? Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they're, they're lined up and he says, Captain Ragsdale, sir, troopers on the flat, form a line. All of them right up on the top of the flat with the horses. Captain Ragsdale, sir, advance carbines. Everybody's pulling the carbines out. Captain Ragsdale, sir, sound advance, bugler. They took off, right? Well, the guy all the way at the far end, he don't hear those orders being shouted. But he hears that horn, and he knows when that signal comes out, it's time to go to battle. All right? And then the, troop, the bugler's standing there with the general, and he's like, we need to reform our line, sound retreat. You're in the midst of the battle. Everybody's killing each other. You don't know what's going on, but you hear this retreat. I don't know what the retreat sound sounds like. Then you go back and reform the line. So this is something that has been used effectively for thousands of years. And it still has meaning to us today. Uh, even, just as a note, even during the British occupation of Israel, it was forbidden to blow the shafar at the Western Wall. I don't know why, but the British wouldn't let them blow the shafar. And many of them risked their going to prison to blow the shafar on Rosh Hashanah at what they considered the last remnant of the Holy Temple. We'll be talking about that in just a minute, too. So the rabbis has given, they've given different interpretations of when and how the shafar is to be used at Rosh Hashanah because they're not really sure what the Torah 
is teaching about this. The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. It's all called the Pentateuch or the law or the books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. And so in it, it's giving instruction to use the shafar. They have certain words for the different signals that they blast. The tekiah, uh, the shivarim, and the teruah. And so when they read, you, you do this, they didn't know what sequence it's supposed to go in. It could be one of three different sequences. So to make sure that they got it right, they do all of them during their service, which ends, the, which um, uh, all put together, there's 100 blasts on the shafar during the ceremony of Rosh Hashanah. This Saturday, they'll be blowing the shofar in their service 100 times in that service. All right? The tekiah is one long blast. Then you have the shevarim is three short blasts. And then you have what is known as the terura. It is a repeated, a, rep, a rapid fast blast that is broken into nine, and I never get just nine. I don't know, because it's hard to count nine that fast. That is the terua. And so they read how to do that, but they didn't know exactly what sequence to do that. And the way they will do that is at the ceremony, the rabbi will call out, Tekiah! And then he'll call out, Shavarim! Then he'll call out, Teruah! Tekiah! Then they'll go Tekiah, Shevarim, Tekiah, Tekiah, Teruah, Tekiah. And they will do that over and over until they have blasted the Shafar 100 times. They will do a total of 101 blasts. I'll be talking about that last blast in just a minute. They also read various scriptures during the ceremony, one of which is Psalms 47, verse 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the people under us, the nations under our feet. Now, remember, this is the Jewish people, the people that's been hated by all people everywhere throughout history. He said, all the nations will be under our feet. He will choose our inheritance for us, the excellency of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah. Selah means just stop and ponder and think on these things. Verse 5, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together. The people of God, of Abraham. For the shield of the earth belongs to God. He is greatly exalted. So to the Jewish people, this is a call to repentance 
in preparation for Yom Kippur, but it is also a remembrance of Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19, if you'll look at that with me. Verse 10. It says, Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. Verse 10 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Verse 16 says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there was a thundering, a lightning, and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud. Now, just stop there and think about this for just a minute. Moses didn't take a trumpet up on the mountain with him. So where is this sound coming from? It is the trumpet of God himself. Now, is God blowing a shofar, or is that just his voice? We don't know. All we know is God is up there, Moses is up there, and the sound of the trumpet is coming from God himself. And so there was a sound of the trumpet, it was very loud, so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Why did Jesus, why did Moses take the children of Israel out of Egypt to start with? He told Pharaoh, said, let my people go that we may go meet with God in the holy mountain. Go to the holy mountain and meet with God. So that's the whole purpose they came there. So he took them out to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now, verse 18 says, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the f- smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. I would, love, I would have just loved to have seen that. Wouldn't you? An in, how many of you were here when the earthquake hit in in, in Louisa. What was that, a point seven point four or something on the Richter scale? What was that? Does anybody remember? 6.47, it was big. I remember because I was outside putting water in a tank and ready to spray the weeds in my driveway, and all of a sudden he said, it felt like it lifted me up off the ground, it went boom, and I mean, the basketball goal in my backyard was shaking like that, leaves falling off the tree, and Jeannie coming out the door, she was, she was bouncing out the door, praying in the spirit. I'm like, I hate to tell somebody to stop praying in the spirit. I'm like, hush, hush. What? I said, I want to hear this because it was rumbling. It was awesome. Everybody thought it was frightful. I thought it was awesome. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. That was incredible. You know, and then we went and sat on the porch, and all of a sudden you heard like a herd of buffalo coming. And then it shook again. I'm like, and then it went. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And then it went away, and you heard it going off in the distance like a herd of buffalo till it got quiet. And it did that three times. I'm like, whoa, baby. That was just like so cool, you know. The whole mountain did that. That's just and to think now the mountain is quaking, but nothing else is. Isn't God amazing? He said, so the whole mountain quaked greatly. Verse 19, and when the blast of the trumpet sounded louder and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. You see, the trumpet sound, when we blow that, it is mimicking the voice of God saying, I'm here, I'm big, and I'm bad. 
It, vo- it announces the presence and the power of God. And so to the Jewish people and to many Christians, hearing the shafar, it awakens something in you. And it should, if you, if you give it the, the, the respect and the consideration that it's supposed to have, that it's a remembrance of the presence and the power of God. Now, at the end of the ceremony, now this is where it really gets interesting. There's one last blast. It is called the Tekiah Godalah, and it is called the last trump of God. You ever heard that before? The last trump of God. Where have we heard that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, that's the tekiah, the last trump of God for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this corruption must put on incorruption this mortal must put on immortality so when this corruption is put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death where is your sting O Hades where is your victory So while the Jews were commanded to listen to the sound of the shafar at Rosh Hashanah to remind them of the presence and the power of God, to call them into repentance, to prepare them for the judgment of the atonement of Yom Kippur, to the believers, this is a sound of the promise of Jesus Christ that I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again. It says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians. For the dead shall rise first, and those that are alive will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That will happen when the Lord descends with the sound of the trumpet, the tekiah gedolah, the last trump of God, at the end of this age, the church age, or the, the dispensation. Now, Jesus has fulfilled every single feast, and this is what's interesting to me. I'm not a date setter. I will never do that. The Bible says no man knows the hour or the day when the Son of Man shall appear. All right, that means nobody knows. Not even Jesus himself knows. Remember, I don't know if you remember, but I've taught you before that this is talking about a Jewish wedding, actually. When Jesus told the disciples, he said, you believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. But I go there to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will, when I go, I will come again and bring you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's actually talking about the Jewish wedding. Because when the young man found somebody that he was interested in, he wanted to marry, he would leave her. And he would go and add on to his father's house. And as he's building on to his father's house, it was the father that told the son when the house was ready. This is true in Jewish customary in their marriages. Even to this day, some of them still practice this. And when the father says, okay, the work is done, the house is ready, go get your bride. Then the bridegroom would come, the bride would come with his bridegrooms, usually at midnight. He would be announced with the sound of the shafar. 
and they would blow the shofar, and the bridegroom was to yell out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And then the bride, who has been preparing all of this time, would rise up, light her lamp, and go out to meet him. We see that in the parable of the ten virgins. Five of them were looking for the return of the, of the bridegroom. Come on, I hope you're looking for the return of Jesus. Paul said, I've come to the end of my journey. He says, my race is over. I have fought a good fight. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not just for me, but for everyone that loves his appearing. Come on, are you looking for the appearing of Jesus Christ? We love that. I, I love the thought that he's promised that he's coming back to get us. And the more I see happening in this earth, the more it's fulfilling prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. When they moved the embassy back to Jerusalem where it should have been long ago, it fulfilled prophecy. Just not long ago, they signed a peace treaty with some of their Arab neighbors. Come on, church. People need to wake up, man. I mean, get, start lifting your eyes towards the eastern sky because your redemption draweth nigh. That's exciting stuff to me. One day, I don't know when, but you're going to hear the sound of the Jafar. And I pray, brother, I look around, and I, I, I see it's all going out of here. So I don't want to be that guy that's boom, and everybody's gone. I'm looking around like, where did they go? I was, it's funny, I was doing some research on this, and I came across this one guy, and he had every number and fact, and he's tying in the blood moons and this and that, and he's trying to predict the date. Well, Jesus was supposed to have been here in September of 2017. I'm like, well, either you're wrong or I got left. <laughs> I'm three years into this thing, and I, we're still here. I don't know anybody that I know that vanished, you know. <laughs> I think maybe you're calculations are wrong there partner but your intentions are well god bless you sir it's foolish to set dates all right but what we need to realize though is that every prophecy see the feast are prophetic images of what jesus will do all right and when they were in egypt god instructed them to take a lamb to kill it put the blood on the lentil and on the doorpost and when the angel passes by, he sees the blood, he will pass over that house, and he will not kill the firstborn, all right? And that was the celebration of the Passover. There's other things that they did. They ate the lamb that night. They ate in haste. They didn't have leaven, meaning yeast, which is, represents sin. Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So it doesn't matter if it's a lot of sin or a little. If you got sin in your life, you got sin in your life, Amen. And so there's a lot of things that goes along with that. But the Passover that night... Uh, was fulfilled by the killing of the lamb. That was a snapshot of what Jesus would do. And he fulfilled the prophetic imagery of that feast when he hung on the cross. The very minute that Jesus is hanging on the cross and they're sticking a spear in his side and his blood is running out and his whole body is bleeding, the fathers in the homes inside the city of Jerusalem was cutting the throat of the lamb. At that very moment. In other words, the very day that they celebrated Passover, Jesus fulfilled the Passover himself on a cross on Calvary's mountain. That very same day. While he, while they are going through the house, making sure that all the leaven is out of the house, and they're celebrating the feast of unleavened bread, the second feast, he is in the 
bowels of hell, but the Bible says he went and, and preached to those that's in captivity, and the grave could not hold him because there was no sin found in him. He was the unleavened bread. There was no sin in him. He knew no sin. He became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. In other words, when he hung on the cross, he was the sinless sacrifice. But I told you last week, God somehow took all the sins from the past, the present, and the future, and he put it on him, and he became sin. Satan, by spiritual law, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. He has a spiritual right to take your life if there's sin in your life. It's a spiritual law. And so when he saw that sin, assuming that it was his sin, he killed him or he died. I don't want to say he killed. Well, he actually did. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I give it freely. But give it or take it, he died, okay? He died illegally because there was no sin in his life. Therefore, because there was no sin in his life, he fulfilled the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the very day that it's being celebrated in Jerusalem. On the third day... They are in the barley field. According to their feast, they take the first sheaf of barley, they cut it off, and they take a sheaf of barley, and they wave it before the Lord as a wave offering of the first fruit. On the third day, the stone rolled away. The guy standing out there waving the barley, Jesus is telling Mary, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go tell my brethren that I ascend to my God and to your God. And he ascended into the heavens as the wave offering of the firstborn of many brethren. He fulfilled that feast on the very day that it was celebrated by the Jews in Jerusalem. Fifty days after that, when they celebrated Pentecost, he told the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but go and tarry until I send you the promise. And on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 1 says, when the day of Pentecost is fully come, they were gathered in the upper room, and there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And cloven tongues of fire appeared upon them, and each of them was baptized in the Spirit, and they spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. On the very day they celebrated it, Jesus fulfilled it by the giving of his own spirit into the body of Christ. The next feast to be fulfilled on the Jewish prophetic calendar is the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, when the sound, trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise and those that are alive and remain. Are you saying, Pastor, that Jesus is coming back this Saturday? I would never say that. What are you saying, Pastor? What I am saying is that everything that Jesus has fulfilled, he fulfilled it on the very day that they celebrated it. Are you setting a date? No, I'm saying that everything that Jesus has fulfilled, he fulfilled. Take it for what it is, all right? I can't talk, tell you what the future is, but I can tell you what the past was. So I don't know. Maybe one day when they're celebrating Rosh Hashanah and the end of the day, they blow that long tequila Godot. Hallelujah. The heavens are going to. But it'll be secret because it'll be like a thief in the night, the Bible says. And I've talked about that before. I won't carry you through all of that. So he's fulfilled all of those. Well, you say, but wait a minute, Pastor. What about the rebuilding of the temple? We see all the signs of the times. And people say, well, what about the rebuilding of the temple? 
can't rebuild the temple. The Dome of the Rock is sitting there. What are you going to start World War III over tearing down that temple? I've got some pictures I want to show you here. If you guys will pull it up for me, I, th I think you get there. But have it ready for me. There we go. This is a model that is found in a museum in Jerusalem. And this is what they believe was the Temple Mount. And if you'll see that arrow pointing at that little castle-looking thing over to the side there, that is supposed to be the Roman Fort Antonio. There's a problem with that, though. Josephus, which lived during the time that the temple was still standing, said that that fort housed a legion of Roman soldiers. That's 6,000 soldiers lived there with their chariots and their horses. That thing takes up about three acres. It's 460 feet by 260 feet. I want to see you get 6,000 soldiers with their horses and stuff living there together. That don't work. So that's not a true depiction according to historians of what the first temple looked like. In 33 AD, a pilgrim uh, of Bordeaux said, looking east from the church of the sepulcher, if you could pull the next one up for me, looking east from the church of the sepulcher, he could see, the only thing he could see was the old Roman fort. Now looking due east, you'll see the church of the sepulcher, you look due east, what are you looking at? The Temple Mound, or what they call the Temple Mound, now where the Dome of the Rock sits, the Dome of the Rock wasn't there in 333 A.D. It was completed in 690 A.D. So when he was looking out the window of the Church of the Sepulchre due east, he was looking at the wall of Fort Antonia, the Roman fort that housed 6,000 soldiers. All right? Looking east from the Church of the Sepulchre looks directly at the Dome of the Rock right now that's sitting on the location of the old Fort Antonio. You, look at, you see the, the almost square, it's a rectangular outline of what is considered the Temple Mound was actually the boundaries of Fort Antonia, the Roman Fort. Now, the new model, if you could pull that up for me. Okay, that's looking due east. You see the Dome of the Rock? And you could probably see, just if you look and know what you're looking at, you'll see what is known as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall on this side of the Dome of the Rock. Pull up the next one, please. Now, this is the new model that historians, list, listening to Josephus and other historians said, this was more than likely what it actually looked like. Because where the Dome of the Rock is at is up on this hill. That wall you see on the back side is actually the western wall of Fort Antonio. The Dome of the Rock sits in there. There's 600 feet. And then down the hill in the, the Kidron Valley at the Gihon uh, Spring there was actually, they just uncovered a hundred years ago, they discovered that this is the city of David, the ancient city of David, where the where the Gihon Spring was at. There's no spring on the hill up there. The spring is right below the temple wall there. <clears throat> so it's believed that this was actually the true location of the Jewish temple. Uh, it agrees with uh, Josephus' description of the fort. He records, Josephus did, now as to the tower of Antonia. 
it might seem to be composed as several cities. You don't put several cities on a three-acre square. Are, are you hearing me? If we go up to the tower, if we go up to the tower of Antonia, we gain the city since we shall be up on the top of the hill. So if you go in that tower on the corner of it right there, you're up on top of the hill and say, we can see the whole city because we're up in a high place on that fort. And it makes sense because the Romans, they didn't care about the Jewish temple. They cared about Rome. All right. And they were looking for Rome's interest, not the Jews' interest. In Acts chapter 21, if you remember when Paul went in and was, was speaking in the temple and they attacked him, verse 31, it says, And all the city was disrupted, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison, and all Jerusalem was in an uproar, and he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. So he's running from an elevated position down to the temple. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating him. Verse 35 says, and when he reached the stairs. Now, if you will pull, pull my new model back up there again, please. So when they reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. So when he was given permission, Paul stood on the stairs. You see the stairs going into the... Because they took him out of the temple and carried him back and put him in prison in Fort Antonia. And he probably stood on those stairs right there going to that doorway at the top of that hill and addressed the people that's followed him up the hill trying to stone him and kill him. Acts chapter 23, we also see the size of Fort Antonia. And it says, this is later on when the commander uh, is trying to transport Paul to another location. Verse 23, it says, and he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesar on the third hour of midnight. Now, you can do some math. How many is that? 200 and 270. How much does that add to you see that fort that was in the first, first uh, model that we showed could house about 600 people. That's not a legion. That's a cohort. All right? So if they had a cohort there, there'd be 600 people. What Roman commander would send 470 of his men to with a nobody and leave 130 people to quelch a people that numbers in the thousands that wants to destroy you? He would be insane to do that. But they had thousands of soldiers in a fort, so he was able to send 470. That's nothing when you've got 6,000 men with their chariots and so forth. I've got another picture of an old Roman fort. If you could pull that up. That is a, a Roman fort, and you can see how that's, that housed a legion. And it's about the same size as what is to be believed to be the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. There's another uh, one of the old remains of an old Roman fort in Masada. Again, it's the same dimensions as the Temple Mount. The city of David, if you pull that one up, it's in the Kidron Valley. That's the ancient city of David, the Gahan, the Gahan Spring, where we believe, and if you look at it right now, that is up-to-date picture what is preventing the temple from being built right there, right now? And the answer is, not a thing. 
They could start construction on the temple today, on the original temple mound. You say, well, what about the Wailing Wall? The Jews have always said the Wailing Wall is the last remnant of the temple. Third century historian Eusebius said, the hill called Zion in Jerusalem, the building there, that is to say the temple, has been utterly removed and shaken. Josephus said it was so thoroughly laid even to the ground by those that dug it up to the foundation that there was left nothing to make those that came thither believe that it had ever been inhabited. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24 verse 1, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. According to recent theologians and scholars, they believe that the western wall is not the wall of the temple, but the wall of the Fort Antonio. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. So the construction could start on the temple this very day. There's not a thing stopping the fulfillment of that prophecy. So I don't know when Jesus is coming back again. All that I know is when they blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, it's a reminder to me that he is coming. Amen. And that means something. And it also, I think, it shows support for the people of Israel. How many of you are pro-Israel besides me? Amen. Pray for the peace of Israel. They are God's chosen people. And he deals with it. Listen, I don't believe in replacement theology. You say, what is that? Well, there's some guy, people that believe that the church replaces Jerusalem. We're not the seed of Abraham. No, the Jews are. I'm a Gentile. They're Jews. I'm a Gentile. Now, we are all heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. He said, if you be in Christ Jesus, then are you heirs to Abraham and joint heirs with Jesus. But I'm not a blood-bought Jew. I'm a blood-born Jew. I've, I know. I've had the DNA, the spit in the cup thing, and you check your DNA, and there wasn't an ounce of Jewish blood in me. <laughs> Amen. I'm a Gentile. But I do believe in supporting the Gentile peace people. And, and by the way, some of the Jews said, why do you Gentiles blow the shofar all the time? See, we only blow it at certain occasions. It's, it's a very sacred thing, and we only blow it when we're instructed to from Scripture. But you, you Gentiles, every worship service, they don't mean they're doing it throughout the worship service. And you know what the Jews think about that? They love it. They're not offended by that. They love it. Professor Joseph William at Rutger University said the Shafar has played a role in bringing Christians together in support of Israel. The fervent advocacy for Israel among Pentecostals and charismatic traditions actually grows out of an immense experience that Jewish Ritual and symbols, including the sound of the shafar, by incorporating shafars, banners, Jewish dancing, and Hebrew songs alongside political speeches and sermons, Christian Zionist leaders have been able to build a broader pro-Israel coalition. They're happy that we 
care about their history and that we celebrate using the things that God told them to use in their ceremonies. Also, Neil H. Sersky, uh, a member of the Allegiance for the Peace of Jerusalem and the branch director of the Chosen People Ministry in Washington said, quote, by utilizing the Shafar and worship services and other events, Christians can show Israel and the world that they support Israel. They love it. Amen? So this Saturday, I'm not telling you you got to keep Rosh Hashanah, but just remember that this ancient ceremony that has been held every single year, even, isn't it amazing what God has done with the Jewish people? I mean, a people that scattered all over the world never lost their identity. They never lost their 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 ceremonies and their, their, their practices and their rituals. And so they never lost that. And according to Bible prophecy, he gathered them out of all the nations. And in 1948, a miracle took place when they became an identifiable people again and came back to their homeland. By the way, Israel belongs to the Jews, not the Palestinians, just for the record. It's promised to them by God. For an everlasting inheritance. In fact, if you look at all the places where Abraham's feet walked, because remember when he told him out there in the Chaldees, he said, everywhere you set your foot, I will give you as an everlasting inheritance. It's a whole lot bigger than just 70 miles wide and 120 miles long, which is the borders of Jerusalem. It's a big area. It belongs to them. And I support them in it. Amen? And I'm glad you do too. Won't you stand to your feet if you would, please? They rush on the cities. They run on the walls. How many of you know that song? I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. I'll probably embarrass myself. I don't know the last time. Where did your guitar go, Hunter? Your box guitar. Can I borrow it a second? I got a little sissy fingers right now. I ain't played a guitar in forever. When we first started the church, you're looking at the one and only worship leader. Some of you remember that. (laughs) Y'all were here. It's like, oh, gosh, we got to go do this again. (laughs) You remember that, don't you, Brooke? Of course, you was about this big back then. Uh Uh-huh. Lori. Lori's been here all. uh, Wave at us, Lori. What back there? We were, we were in my backyard to start with, and then we moved into Joel's garage. What? Okay. You got a pick? Okay. If I can remember this. This is not going to sound pretty now. But if you know what it sounds like. They rush on the cities. They run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his word. They rush on the cities. They run on the walls. Great is the army that carries out his word. The Lord utters his voice before his army. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm of God's holy mountain. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm. 
Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm of God's holy mountain. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Sound the alarm. Actually, that is not a song for the armies of God. It sounds good, though. See, I'm a teacher, so words really mean something to me in accuracy. And I probably shouldn't mess up people's songs, but that's actually talking about the demon locusts in the book of Revelation. <laughs> when it marched in the cities and it ran up on the walls and it went into the windows of the houses. But he did call them the army of God. He sent the demon locusts to, it's, a, it's a, actually a time of judgment. And here we are in the church saying, blow the trumpet in Zion, send the armies of God. He's like, you're calling for the demon locusts to come and eat you. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good plan or not. Uh, we give it a new meaning, so that's okay, too. Amen. Praise God. Are you having fun? Come on. It's all right. God said a, a merry heart does good like a medicine. So nothing wrong with having fun in church on Sunday. Hallelujah. Listen, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. I, I really encourage you. You know, there's people that have... They've wandered away from God. They once served God. They're not serving God anymore. I don't know when Jesus is coming back again. But when he does, are you going to be ready to meet him? You know, I mean, it may not be the sound of the trumpet. It may be an 18-wheeler that comes across the center line. Hello? We live right across the street. Am I correct, Noel? I hope I'm not touching a nerve here, but a 19-year-old boy went jogging, walked around the front yard and fell over dead. Am I right? Henry Rigsby's son, 19-year-old, running because he was playing sports or whatever, and he's, his health ran up in the yard, dead. You're not promised your next breath. Church, we need to, we need to stay rapture ready, whether it comes with the sound of the trumpet or whether he says, this day thy soul is required of thee. And, and, and that goes to all of us. We need, I'm not talking about being, living in fear. Come on, I'm talking about a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is nothing like it. I don't serve God because I'm scared he's going to get me and I'm going to be, a, no. I mean, you have a relationship. I hope you've got a close relationship with your father. You know, when you've got a close relationship with dad, you know, it's like, you can talk to dad about anything. You hang out and you, you know he's always there for you. If you need him, boy, I mean, all you got to do is let him know. He'll drop everything and come running. That kind of a relationship. That's what I'm talking about. But why in the world people will see what the world has to offer and run after those things when it's going to damn their very soul? You know, the Bible says, what, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, he says, what if you gain the whole world? What will you give in exchange for your soul? And I see people running after stuff, sinful behavior. My goodness. And it's fun. The Bible says it's fun. Woo, man, they're having a big time for a season. But there's a payday someday. Amen. Amen. And I'll tell you before and I'll tell you again. I'll tell you to the day God takes my breath. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And believe me, brothers and sisters, it will always, always, always cost you more than you want to pay. Run from it. 
Bible says flee fornication. Run from it. I can't stay there and say don't do that. you got to be responsible for yourself. Amen? Nobody else is going to make you do it. It's a choice you got to make. And if you haven't made those choices, I pray you would repent, return to Christ today. If you've never trusted Jesus, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door. It opens from the inside, by the way. If any man will open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him. Come on, invite Jesus in for a cup of coffee. Amen. 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 If you haven't done that, why don't you do that today? Father, I thank you for all your precious word. It is yes and amen. It, is, it never gets old, Lord. It's a living thing. God, you said it's the very breath that breathes into the souls of men. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that's in it. It hasn't changed, God. You don't change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I thank you that you're always there for us, Lord. I think if we ever need you, Lord, all we have to do is just utter your name. God, I thank you that you said that in the name of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne, making our request known to the creator of the universe. We have got the privileged audience in your presence, God, not because of acts of righteousness we have done, but by your spirit, we can enter your presence. Thank you for that, God. We thank you this morning that we can come in your presence, Lord. And declare your truth. Lord, I pray that it has brought glory and honor to your name. I pray that it has encouraged the body of Christ. Lord, we do look with great excitement, Lord, at the remembrance this Saturday when they blow the shafar that you have promised us, Jesus, that you're coming again. Lord, as we see that day approaching, you told us to encourage one another. And so much more as we see that day approaching. Lord, I pray for the body of Christ that we will stop nitpicking each other, Lord. God, your word says if we bite and devour one another, be careful that you're not consumed one of another. Lord, help the body of Christ to quit nitpicking that group and this group and realize there is but one body. And we're supposed to be encouraging each other, not nitpicking each other. And in doing that, so much more as we see this day approaching, Lord, the body of Christ has got enough enemies without having it from within. So, Lord, I pray that the body of Christ, Lord, and I'm talking about every denomination, God, every brand that's out there, Lord, because I read some of the posts that they put in, and this one's attacking that one, and that's a, Lord, just get them to stop. Just stop. Just stop. Start praying for one another, Lord. If they spend as much time on their knees praying instead of criticizing, probably change it. So, Lord, just help us, God. Help us, Lord to do the right thing and to love each other, encourage each other. Lord, and I pray that the word today has been an encouragement, God. If we go out of this place with a new excitement, new joy, Lord, looking to you, Father. Now, Lord, let's end this the way we started it, Father. We, we want to realize, God, you're always working. You never stop. And, Lord, we just want to trust you. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus just to take you at your word. Simple faith to plunge beneath the healing, cleansing flood. And, Lord, that we can just trust you more and more and more and act like that child, Father, that is just full of life, full of passion, knowing that daddy's got it all under control. Hallelujah. You got it all under control. Amen. Now, Father, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ this morning, Lord, over every home that is represented here today. God, bless each home. Make it a refuge 
an escape from the world, Lord, a place where your spirit is welcome, Lord. Strengthen the family today. God, help husbands to rise up and be the spiritual head of their household, Lord, to lead their families in the ways of righteousness, God, to be strong men, God. Not hard men, but strong men, God. Father, help their wives to be a helpmate to that man, God. Siblings, one to another, children with their parents. God, I pray for those that are seeking their mate that they find the right person, God, that you bring the right person to them. Wait for that right person to come along. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. 